Come thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace Christmas, a message of love. That's our theme today on this audio episode from the pulpit of Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs with Pastor Al Pittman. In the Western world, no day is elevated beyond December 25th, and yet much of celebration surrounding Christmas misses the mark of the true spirit of the day. Christmas is, in fact, a message of love. Here it is, Earth and Humanity, a rebel world exiled from the glories of Eden by a federal act of disobedience that polluted the whole human race. And yet, in His grace and mercy, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. There you have it, a message of love for this and to every Christmas. So let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and we begin in verse 33 with Pastor Al Pittman. Amen. I want to quit singing that song. That's a good song. Amen. Father, it's always good to meditate upon your love for us. I think it was... Uh, great man of God, I believe it was A.W. Tozer, who said, my greatest thought is not my love for God, but God's love for me. Father, we are here today, gathered in your name. We pray that you will be glorified in this place. We commit this time to you, Lord, as we meditate upon the meaning of Christmas. Be glorified, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Bless you over at Creekside. God bless you and those who've joined us online. So glad to have you with us today. If you have a Bible, please open to Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're just going to be looking at a few verses, but in these few verses, we find a manifestation of God's love. We begin at verse 33. Last week, we saw where Jesus was brought as a child to the temple. He's about a little bit over a month old. And he was dedicated to the Lord according to the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 12. We talked about that last week. They encountered Joseph and Mary, a man by the name of Simeon, who was a devout man and a just man. And he dedicated Christ to the Lord and thanked God that God fulfilled his promise to Simeon that he would see the Messiah before he died. And so he praised God. We see that in verses 29 uh, to 32. And then we pick it up here at verse 33. And in these verses, 33 to 35, Again, we see the manifestation of God's great love. Read along with me. It says here in verse 33, And Joseph and his mother, that is Jesus' mother Mary, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child, this child, not another child, but this child, is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken not for, but against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Mom, mothers often bear the deepest wounds. And Mary would bear the deepest wound for her son, Jesus. In fact, Simeon, when he is dedicating Jesus to the Lord, many believe he was standing in the court of the women. It's always moms who bear the deepest wounds for their children. And then he said, the reason... He will be spoken against is because that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Amen. Father, we ask that you would bless your word today, that your word would go forth through your promise, Lord, that it will not return to you void, but accomplish that which you send it to do. 
And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. In relationship to the, to the Christmas message of love, in our text we find a response to God's love, and we also see two evidences of God's love as well. We want to talk about those today. When we talk about the response to God's love, I, we consider Joseph and Mary their responses. Because quite honestly, I'm a little uh, amazed that, they're so, that they marvel so much about what Simeon said about the Christ child. I'm wondering, did Joseph forget his visitation by the angel? Remember, uh, Joseph was visited by an angel. He was contemplating whether, how to put Mary away secretly because, you know, what fiancé is going to believe that is, you know, better half his betrothed wife is going to come to him and say hey i'm all of a sudden pregnant with child and by the way i don't know how it happened or god did it you know uh who would believe that story and of course he was a man like like any man he was wrestling with that whole idea and uh he thought well you know being a just man he would just put her away silently and then an angel appeared to him to confirm the prophetic prophecy to joseph about this child mary is carrying was carrying at that time we find uh, the confirmation of the angel in matthew chapter 1 verse 23 who prophesies who who not prophesies but who confirms the words of isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 where we read there behold the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name emmanuel which is translated god with us and then i think about mary why is she marveling here i mean did she not did she forget her visitation you know, by the angel as well? And we see that in Luke chapter 1, of course, in verses 30 to 33. It's on the screen, but there in Luke chapter 1, the Bible says, Then the angel said to her, that is Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, that is the house of Israel forever of his kingdom. There will be no end. Amen. How much more information do you need, Mary? And yet we find them here, Joseph and Mary. They marveled at the words of Simeon spoken in verses 29 32 but let's not be too hard on them isn't that often our reaction even though the word of God had been revealed to them when they saw the fulfillment of God's promise and of God's love they marveled isn't it like us we have God's word we read the word word of God's been revealed to us but when God does what he says he will do sometimes we find ourselves marveling that God would love me this much. They are marveling here because of the love of God. It's too good to be true in their mind what is being said. But remember what God had promised. Amen. In your life, remember what God had promised. Has promised. He's not a man that he should lie. He said he loves you and he will love you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And he meant it. And sometimes when we see God come through for us, we're amazed, Lord, that he would love us so much. And I think this is why they're marveling here, that this is too good to be true. And why would God love me? Well, God reveals the motive for his love in the book of Deuteronomy as he spoke to the nation of Israel. He's speaking to us even today. 
There in Deuteronomy chapter 7, this is what, here we find the motivation for God's love. Listen, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you, choose you because you were more in number than any other people. In other words, Israel, God didn't choose you because you were great, the greatest people on earth. It says here that the Lord God says, in fact, you were, you were, uh, for you were of the, of the least, or you were the least, rather, of all peoples. The least of all people. You didn't, it wasn't your great numbers, but you were the least of all people. But here's why the Lord chose you, because the Lord loves you. Because the Lord loves you. And because he would keep the oath, his promise, which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Amen. Why did God deliver you from the penalty of sin? Why did God deliver you? Why did he transform your life? Did he see in you something that was so special he couldn't resist it? No. He said, I loved you because I chose to love you. Christmas Speaks of the very fact, don't miss this point at Christmas. It is God's choice to love us. God choosing to love us. That's what Christmas is about. God has chosen to love us. His love and the knowledge of his love is what really quiets the anxious soul. The person that is full of fear. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. It is his love, the knowledge of God's love that is redeeming, the knowledge of God's love for me that causes me when I have stumbled, when I have failed, to stand and to rise again. It is the knowledge of his love. Amen. As Tozer said, it is not my love toward God, but it's my greatest thought is God's love for me. Amen. His love is the rejoicing of mankind's soul. In light of our own failures, he loves us. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 says, The Lord your God in, the, in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with what? Singing. God sings over the likes of us. God sings over you. He makes up songs about you. Amen. When I was in the fourth grade, this is before I met Norma, Amen. I fell in love, head over heels, with this little pigtail girl in school. Her name was Judy. I still remember her name. Amen. <laughs> and I lay in my bed at night, you know, little kids singing songs about Judy, making up songs about Judy. I don't know what kind of songs they were, you know. Judy, whatever, what I don't know. Judy's old, old grandma today, I'm sure. But I would make these, I was infatuated. I was, you know, in fact, making these, and I think, you know what, we, we do that in, in all the love songs that we hear on the radio and, and that people sing over one another and all this. God makes up love songs about us. He sings over us, over the very ones who have rejected him. But isn't that the way God's love is? You may be rejecting him this very morning, but he still loves you. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that in this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God says live. You don't need to die. 
live. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this is love. That while we were enemies of God, he died for us. I I hope that you're letting this sink in. I know these are scriptures that you've heard before, but as a believer, we need to be reminded of just how much he loves us. But our response to his love many times is unbelief, that God actually loves me that much, but he does. This kind of love is beyond all human comprehension. That's why Mary and Joseph marveled. It was C.S. Lewis who said that the Christian, and I quote, the Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us, close quote. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made us good. Paul said, within me dwells no good thing. I brought nothing to the negotiating table or the bargaining table. I brought nothing but my wickedness, my sin. My fallen nature, God brought everything, the righteousness of his son. And we, through faith in him, have become the righteousness of God. Mind-blowing. How does that happen? It doesn't happen apart from love. That God loved us. And God loves us. In verses 34 and 35 in our text, we've already read it, but there, uh, Simeon turns directly to Mary and starts to speak to Mary. And in his words, we find two evidences of God's great love for us. The first thing we find here is that God has given us his son. He has given us his son. He says, this child, not another, but this child is the manifestation of God's love. He is indeed God with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yehoshia, or Yehoshua, amen, and or Joshua, Yehoshua, I'll get it out, amen, or Joshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation. That God is our deliverer. God is our deliverer. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, that the word of God might be torn asunder by our sins. That we might be able to come to God and escape the fate of the devil, which is hell. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us that the word of God might be torn asunder, might be crucified, that we might be forgiven and escape the fate of the devil. This, my friend, is why Jesus was born. He said, for it is the very cause I was born. I've come into the world. What cause? Because God loved you guys so much that he sent me to be an atoning sacrifice for all your sins. The world needs a savior. I think that's why people love Marvel movies. They're they're heroes, you know, of trouble. Amen. Is that me? I'm sorry. We always have trouble with Marvel movies sometimes. You know, Superman Lisa Superman, I used to read about, could move planets, you know. Then somebody could just knock him down. And I'm thinking, dude, the dude can move planets, you know. <laughs> what kind of savior is that? You know, but I think we, we look, we're looking for heroes, looking for someone to save us. And God has sent us a savior. 
through the birth of his son, this child, this child. And the devil knows that he is, Christ has come to save us. Uh, in fact, he has, uh, uh, knowing that, he inspired a, a wicked king by the name of Herod the Great. Well, he said he was a king. He was actually the governor of Galilee, appointed by the Romans. Back in the time when Christ was born, Herod actually died. Herod the Great died in 4 BC. But he was a narcissistic individual to the max. And when the wise men came, as you know the story, and they came and Herod found out they were there and he summoned them and, and they said they were looking for this king. They were following this star. This newborn king, Herod, became jealous. Inside he was enraged. And he commissioned an army of soldiers, decreed an army of soldiers to go into the small hick town of Bethlehem and to kill every male child from the age of two and under. Of course, God had spoken to Joseph and Mary and they fled and they went to Egypt and all. Uh, many of you know the stories recorded for us in Matthew chapter 2. But what, you know, what we find here is the manifestation of, of, of narcissism, of self-seeking, of the wickedness of man's heart. That has rejected the love of God. That type of mentality will always seek to murder Jesus. The flesh and, and, and within us, even as believers, that's why the Bible says the flesh wars against the spirit. And therefore we should walk in the spirit. Why? Because your flesh seeks to murder Jesus in your life. Just as Herod the Great sought to murder Christ. The flesh always seeks to murder him rather than to magnify him. And even in the world today, the world seeks to murder Jesus, to speak evil of him, to deny his birth, because they have hatred in their heart toward God. But here's the good news. God's not at war with you, even though you are at war with him. Somebody said it this way once, God loves you, get over it. And the world has yet to get over it. But Christmas reminds us every year, that God loves us. The birth of Christ, when I think about his birth, and it, it, it really speaks of the depth of how much God loves you. Look how much God loves us. God loves us so much. In fact, in order to love us, God had to violate every natural law of parenting. The natural law of parenting says that for me, you know, if you have your child, for all of us, when you have a child, you know what? You want to coddle and you want to protect that child from any harm. Amen. You know, you don't put your child in the middle of the street. Amen. Some days you get mad at them and you want them to run out in the middle of the street. Amen. I understand that. But you coddle them. You keep them from, you know, when we, we were having our children, sometimes people would come up and want to hold our baby. My wife would tell you, and I would say, no. Can I hold him? No. I was overly protective. Amen. Parents are overly protective. Amen. I mean, to really do the extreme. I don't want to go down this path, but just to say, you know, our parents, I don't know, the generation I grew up in, they had things like lawn darts. Remember those things? The huge spike on the end of this thing that you threw at each other or whatever. You rode a bicycle. You didn't have a helmet. I know you go out to get out get out of here, boy, go play. You know, no bicycle. Helmet. Now today, just overly protected. I think sometimes helmets and knee pads and everything else for kids riding a bicycle, you know, saw a kid wearing a helmet in my day. We think he was really special. Anyway, so, but every parent wants to protect their child, amen? 
you want to protect your child. God violates all the rules of parenting. God violates every rule of parenting in relationship to this child. Because he exposes this child to the brutalization of mankind and the rejection of mankind. He allows his only begotten son. He didn't have a bunch of sons. He had only one. He allowed him to be brutalized by you and me because of our sins. Listen, this is is from a purely human standpoint. This is insane. But God's love is insane. He's insanely in love with you. Don't ever forget it. You think about, amen, praise the Lord. Somebody ought to clap and give him glory, amen. Remember that. Because you know what? You know you have to be out of your mind to allow your child to be brutalized like that and out of your mind to allow your child to be brutalized for your enemies. I mean, who would give their child to be brutalized for that neighbor you've been warned with? (laughs) Or for that cruel boss at work or people who've hated you or out to get you. And yet you would offer your only son to be brutalized for the benefit of your enemies. The insane love of God. But that's, this is why he sent this child. For the benefit of his enemies. Romans chapter 5 says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. For, for a righteous man, you know, one might die, you know. A good man, maybe, you know, hey, he's good enough. You know, I'll, I'll stand up for that person. I got your back, bro. Before your enemies. And then the Bible tells us in Isaiah, again, speaking of the depths of God's love by sending this child, that it made God, God was overjoyed that Jesus would be brutalized for you so that you could know God's love. Isaiah chapter 53 says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when he made his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, amen. And the church has grown and prospered in the hand of the Lord. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Oh, the height and the depth, the width of the love of God for us. It blows my mind. Honestly, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, you know, I'm telling the truth. Amen. But truthfully for myself, it's hard to get my mind wrapped around God's love. Because the love that you and I are used to receiving is often earned or deserved. And we deserved and we earned nothing. And yet God is insanely in love with me and you. Amen. But... You know, when you love somebody, sometimes 
Things don't always work out the way you think they ought to work out. Jesus was born. It's a gift of God's love. That's what Christmas is really all about. It's a message of love. And yet sometimes you love people, people don't love you back. When Christ was born, he was born, you know, to, to draw mankind to, to God. But he was also appointed. His birth was appointed. He was destined, Simeon says. He was destined to be the fall and the rising of many. Look at verse 34. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And I will say yes, and around the world. The fall and the rising. What is he speaking about here? He's speaking about that because of Jesus, many will be condemned and many will rise, literally rise again. When Christ came, he came not to bring us peace, but he said, I came to bring a sword. There is no gray area in Jesus Christ. Indeed, you are for him or you are against him. Either you believe in him and you're a follower of his or, or you're not. He's not an ideology or philosophy. He is life. And so for those of us who say we know him, indeed, we were promised to be raised again in Jesus Christ. But those who reject him are condemned. Jesus said in John chapter 3, he said, he who believes in me is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten son of God. In other words, we actually condemn ourselves. No one will be able to say, God sent me to hell. We send ourselves to hell by rejecting God's love. But for those who receive his love, Jesus said this in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. <coughs> Excuse me. And then he asked the question, do you believe this? We as believers, we will die, we will leave this world if Jesus should tarry, amen. But we will not face the second death. And when a believer leaves this world, as, as someone has said, it is like someone putting out the lamp because the day is dawning. Who needs a little lamp when the sun is risen? Amen. For the believer, there, there is no victory in death. He said, I'm the resurrection and life. And then he says, do you believe this? Because the answer to that question, my friend, is the difference between heaven and hell. Oh, well, I'm kind of on the fence. That's hell. Now, I know everybody's got to come to a decision, amen? I mean, I understand that. But he said, do you believe this? Because it is the difference. Makes a difference in your destination. Your eternal destiny. He said, I am the resurrection and life. Though you may die, yet you shall live. Yes. Do you believe this? That in this child, there's everlasting life. And this child is the full manifestation of God's love for you and me. Here's secondly, the second sign that I find here in Simeon's words to Mary, and I got to put myself in Mary's shoes. I'm thinking she, the angel reported that he would be great and all of this. And she's probably thinking, oh, he's going to be successful or what have you. But he never anticipated 
the suffering, maybe. Part of the reason of why she, she marveled, especially now, <laughs> you'd almost say her marveling turned to mourning. When Simeon said to her, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And the reason why is because Jesus is that sign from God. He will be for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign. What sign is Simeon speaking about? He may be alluding to the scriptures and the passage rather in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10. In Isaiah 11 verse 10 the Bible says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, a descendant of Jesse. Jesse was King David's father. Who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him in that day. What day? Today. The Gentiles will seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. It says the, the banner of the people, banner to the people, that this sign will be a banner to the people. That word banner can also be translated from the Hebrew signal or sign or flagship. Banner. Indeed, mankind has spoken against the banner, the sign that God has given to us. The banner, if you will, of God's love. And what is the banner of God's love? It is the cross. It is the cross. The world doesn't want to look at it. They want to hide themselves from it. Or they want to just forget its meaning. It's just a piece of jewelry or whatever. But that cross symbolizes is a sign of God's great love for us. The cross upon which Jesus Christ was mutilated, crucified for our sins. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. People are offended by Christmas every year. We read the stories. They get more and more foolish, it seems. It seems like that which is good is now evil and that which is evil is now good. But then the Bible say that is exactly what's going to happen in the last days. It just gets more and more foolish, though, as time goes on. You know, I was just reading the other day or hearing a report. I think I heard this report about how Rudolph is now offensive. You know him, the red-nosed reindeer. Didn't know that coming up as a child, that Rudolph was was offensive. Oh, the Christmas songs. Christmas songs are offensive. And God forbid that anybody would put up a nativity scene. And I was reading the other day, too. It's incredible. Thinking themselves wise, they became fools, the Bible says. Speaking of the world. That even veggie tales are now considered to be racist. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just telling you what people are writing about. I mean, I'm just like, folks have lost their mind. Do I need to even say that? And thus, when you greet people with Merry Christmas, for many, it's viewed as an, in, as, an, as an assault on humanity. But what it is, is really a rejection of God's love. They're rejecting God's love. A little extra commentary, amen. 
Many attribute, however, their offense to the belief that religion is a form of oppression. And I would argue that in most cases they're right. But it's good to know that Jesus didn't come to bring us religion. Amen. Jesus was not born to bring us religion, another religion. Who needs that? Religion is man's attempt to rise up to God's standard, which is impossible for God is holy. But grace is God reaching down to where man is. Amen. That's the grace of God. And that is relationship, not religion. Jesus died and he came to, came, was born that we might have a right relationship with God. So he didn't come to bring us religion. People go, oh, you got religion. No, Jesus got me. Amen. I don't have religion. I'm in a right relationship with God. Amen. And then there are the agnostics who reject the love of God as well. They, they believe that nothing can really be known about God. Hmm. You know, they sit around and do this like, hmm, hmm. Oh, I'm going to consider that. Hmm. Agnostics. Nothing. You really can't know God. We all know that. No. Emmanuel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we can know God. Through faith in Christ. Agnostics deny the clear scientific and spiritual evidence of God's presence and God's love. You, you know, you have to be blind to not know that there's a God of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That it didn't just happen. I mean, a lot of us would like to think that Alexis would evolve and be in our garage tomorrow. It just, it just happened. I mean, it just kind of, you know. But we common sense tells us, no, that car comes from the manufacturer and it had to be designed to function properly. Well, what makes us think that this world does not have a designer? Amen? And just look at creation itself. Do the study of the human anatomy. There's design. It didn't just happen, yet the agnostic will ignore that, and they'll ignore the spiritual evidence of the millions who have come to faith in Jesus Christ on the planet today, but the probably billions over time that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lives have been transformed. The drunkard who now loves his wife, amen. The person who committed crimes against somebody, now forgiving that person who committed the crime, and now they become brothers in the Lord. I mean, how does that happen? There's not a government program to produce that. It is only by the power of God. Amen. It's foolishness to the world, but it's the power of God to those who are being saved. Yet they deny the spiritual evidence. And then out about the atheist, the atheist, of course, denies that God even exists. They don't even want to discuss God. God doesn't exist. They reject the love of God, the atheists, or the so-called atheists. Because atheism in and of itself is a religion. It takes more faith to be an atheist than to be a Christian. It takes more faith, I'm telling you, to be an atheist than to be a Christian. To think that this all just happened and sort of evolved. Amen. That we are the byproduct of that which oozed out of the earth. It takes faith to believe that. I was reading, you know, I, I'm not, listen, I'm not 
the sharpest tool in the drawer by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not a brilliant man. I'm not a scientist or doctor or anything else, but I got common sense. And if you tell me I came from an ape, I'm going to ask you, then why do we still have apes? If apes are evolving, how come they're not still evolving? Amen. Nobody can answer that question. I thought it was no ape left behind. Amen. I thought all the apes came up. Amen. Some of them got left behind and they are ticked off. Amen. That they got to sit in the jungle and pick bugs off the back of each other and have that for dinner instead of evolve into a human being and have a steak out in the Broadmoor. Amen. They've got to be upset. No ape left behind. Somebody got left behind. If we evolved from apes, why do we still have apes? Not just a question. I'm not a smart man. Just asking a question. But here's the reason why people find Christmas offensive. Why they reject the love of God. Because instinctively they know to embrace the cradle, the birth of Christ is to embrace the cross. And to embrace the cross is to be accountable to God and to have one's thoughts, the thoughts of our hearts, the sins of our heart, revealed. And we rather hate than switch. We rather hate because it's easier to hate than it is to love God. And people find it easy. It's easy to hate folks. It's simple to just slap a label on their forehead. He's black. Here's your label. He's white. Here's your label. He's this. He's that religion. That re- here's your label. And to continue to hate people than it is to sit down and say, let me try and understand you and reach you with the love of God. That person's gay. Here's your label. Amen. The love of God is not about labels. The love of God is about transformation. God sent his son and his son's sign that we might be transformed by his great love. But the world has rejected God's banner of love, this sign, the cross, and yet God continues to love the world. He's got this insane love. I just don't understand. But we find it in its simplest form in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Not the church, not the believers, the world. That whosoever will believe in him, that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever will believe in him, that is in Jesus Christ, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God, soul, love. Here's the question. Do we love? So, like God. And there, I think, is the application of this text today. That as believers, that Christmas should remind us of God's great love. Christmas should also remind us as believers that God's, of God's consistent love for us. Romans chapter 5 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I love that. 
Because even Christians sometimes wrestle, and I've talked to many Christians, and even in my own life personally I've wrestled, does God still love me? Does God still love me? Yes, he does. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not just God's love manifested, yes, in the birth of Christ, but God's consistent love in your life. He never stopped loving you. Romans chapter 8, we all know the great statement of God's love there is that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Do we really believe that? Then how, why is it that many of us live with much less rather than much more? A faith that reflects a relationship with God based on much less rather than much more. He said, if I loved you when you were my enemy, how much more do I love you now? I'll tell you how much, much more. Wow. And because of his great love for us, what is to be our response? To do more stuff or whatever? No, I think it's to love more people. First John chapter 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. I pray that be the reputation of our fellowship, reputation of the church in Colorado Springs. Lord, let us love other people. It takes work to love. It's not easy. Amen. Those of you who are married, hello. It takes work. It's not easy. But neither was it easy for Christ to be born in Bethlehem. In fact, everything, God loving us has never been easy. It's always cost him to love Israel in their history. Read the Old Testament to love us today. But he's willing to pay the cost. And we have to be willing to pay the cost as well. In fact, I would say this. Proven love is sincere love. I'll say it again. Proven love is sincere love. Untested love is merely infatuation. Anybody can love you walking by you. But when they got to live with you, amen. You see, it's God is interested in us having that proven love. Jesus, the Father, proved his love to us by sending the Son. And God wants us to possess love that's been proven. That's why he puts you with a wife who doesn't agree with you on everything. That's why he puts you with a husband that doesn't agree with you on everything. So that you may learn to love like your Father in heaven. For Jesus said to love those who love you. Even MS-13 does that. But to love those who despitefully use you, who abuse you. Now you're loving like your daddy. Now you're being like your father in heaven. And you can't love that way until your love is tested. Amen. Christ is our example of tested love. And so our response to God's great love and God's continual love in our life is that we should love others. Leave a legacy of love. Leave a legacy of love. I know we're trying to build up our 401ks and we want to leave our kids all this money and stuff. Leave them a legacy of love. I mean, it sounds good to us right now, but they're going to be sitting there after you're gone like, 
Can't make no house paper with no love. No, I'm just, <laughs> amen. <laughs> but love will be around long after the house is gone. Leave a legacy of love. Our Lord Jesus encouraged us to do that in the church when he said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Hey, pastor, I don't, we're in for counseling. I don't know how to love my wife. How do I love my wife? As Jesus loves you. Amen. How do I love my husband? As Jesus loves you. How do I love, you know, the church, those people out there make me up? As Jesus loves you. How do I love my boss? He doesn't even know the Lord. He comes in drunk and slaps me outside the head every Monday morning. As Jesus loves you. Love one another. By this, all will know, the world will know that you are my disciples. What, by our programs, our apologetics course, our doctrine, our liturgy? Yeah. No. If you have love for one another. Amen. In conclusion, this son, this child, and this sign, Revealed to us a central message of Christmas, which is God loves you. The question today is, have you received the gift of God's love? For the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that would say, Pastor, I don't know for certain that if I was to die today, that I'm on my way to heaven. That they would realize, Lord, because of your great love for them, they can know for certain their sins are forgiven. By putting their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, what Christ has done for them already, not what we can do for you. So, Lord, right now, Holy Spirit, draw those to the Father. Draw them to the Father by the working of your Holy Spirit in their hearts right now. If you are here today, you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you receive the greatest gift of all? That is God's love and his forgiveness in Christ. And know for certain your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven. Say, Pastor, that's me. Well, I want to ask you to take a step, a huge step of faith. That is, stand to your feet right now. I will lead you in a prayer to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior today. Would you stand right now? If you're upstairs in the overflow, you can stand. There are pastors there to see who's standing. Just, just stand. If you're at Creekside, stand. If you're here in this auditorium, stand. We'll wait just a few moments. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And obey his voice. For some of you, this might be your last opportunity. Just stand. We'll wait just a few moments. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If you're watching online, there's a button, a tab for you to, to click on. You can click on that tab if you want to receive Christ. You can pray the prayer with us as well. Thank you, Father. one person online press the button for salvation maybe some over at Creekside I don't know but I'm going to leave this person 
online in prayer. If you're watching online, simply repeat after me and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And I believe you died for all of my sins. Forgive me. Come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend, the Bible says that if any man or woman is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become brand new. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. What would your family say is the message of your Christmas? For some, it would be anxiety, shopping crowds, and last-minute gifts. Others might say parties, travel, and, well, more parties. But Christmas is a message of love, as Pastor Al Pittman has so clearly described today. If your Christmas is a holiday of stress, please consider and reread the second chapter of Luke. Remember, the angels in Bethlehem said, Joy to the world, peace on earth. If you join Pastor Al for his closing prayer, we celebrate with you. So take a moment and click in at cwccs.org and go to the Need Prayer area to let us know of your decision and to let us know about any questions you have. Join us next time for another Christmas episode. This message has been presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.